Welcome to Real Faith. You're listening to Faith FM. I'm your host, Robbie Morgan. It's my co-host, Beck. You! How are you going today, Beck? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay. I think next week, if you ask me, I'll be a lot keener because I'm in exam time at the moment. So oh, I have you like, too? I have a couple more days and then I'm finished for the year. So super stoked. Well, oh, this is exciting. Yeah. This is very exciting. I also am doing exams. I was actually, Ooh. that's so funny because I was actually going to ask you about exams. Yeah. So how many have you done already? I haven't done any. I start next week. So, next week. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I had I had one exam because I'm doing oh. some part-time study. Yeah, yeah. And um, today I had my exam. And you know, I guess the question that comes into my mind is there's two types of people, right? Yeah. And uh, you could obviously say that about many different categories. Mm-hmm. You could say mm-hmm. tall people, short people. You could do all those things. But I'm thinking right now of two different kinds of people. One of those being those who like assessments over tests oh, okay. and those who like tests yes. over assessments. Yes. So my question for you, Beck, yes. is are you a test fan or are you an assessment fan? Now, you can't opt out and be like, I'm not a fan of anything, <laughs> hum, hum, okay? I, yeah, just, okay. I don't want to do any of that. I just yeah. want to learn because really, ultimately, that's probably what we all are. Yeah. But if you had to pick between the two, would you pick an exam or an essay? I would pick an essay. Oh, yeah. why? Because I can think about it and put in exactly what I want. So exactly what I want goes in there. In, in a test environment, I feel like I'm too stressed. It comes and I'm like, what was that important <laughs> thing? But I can think about it for an exam. So I'm... Um, for an essay, so I prefer essays. Oh man, we are total opposites when it comes to that. <laughs> I am an I'm an exam dude all the way. Why? Because, Tell me why. Because I do not like a slow cook. <laughs> I like to I like my life to be like a microwave. Pressure's on, pressure's off. Yeah. Problems done. Yeah. Everything's good. So today I had to go to an exam. I hope my lecturer is not listening because I didn't do any study, um, really. But praise the Lord, I think I passed. So that was good. <laughs> But um, isn't it interesting that the just we, there's some, people are so different. We have well, different personality types, different ways that we like to operate. Yeah, 100%. It actually makes me think when you were saying you don't like a slow cook, you like it to be like rushed and sudden. Oh, totally. Let me just tell the listeners, that's what it's like a little bit with this radio show. Very <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's always very like rushed and sudden and here we go. And that's good. It's getting me better at um, being more like Robbie in that area, <laughs> which I Hopefully hope is preparing that's a blessing me for and life. Not a curse. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. So I'm super excited. Today, we have a great show lined up for you. Yeah. We are going to be looking at a bit of a different Bible study. And in terms of uh, our testimony time today, I'm super excited because Beck's going to be sharing a bit more of her story of coming to know Jesus. Yeah. Super excited to hear about that. And the other thing that we're doing is we've been going through our Encountering Jesus series. And so far, the first five people we've looked at, or six or so, have actually responded positively to Jesus. But today... We're going to look at a group of people that encountered Jesus and then failed to respond positively to him. Mm. This is Sam Ock, The Love of God. Gave his son to win 
His erring child He reconciled And pardoned from His sin O love of God How rich and pure How measureless and strong It shall forevermore endure The saints and angels' song segment on weird and wonderful world if you have any questions throughout this afternoon we really would love to hear them i know that sometimes you have things um thoughts that you've been thinking of maybe during the week and you want to share them so please we welcome you to ring in or text in on 0491 064 669 or call in on 1800 324 843 
So, Robbie, weird and wonderful. Yes, facts. what a weird and one. This is one of my favorite parts of the week. I love it because I love new information. I love learning, and uh, I always, every time we do this segment, I have. I always want to say James Brown's Louis Armstrong song. What a wonderful <laughs> world. We should start with that. I love that. I love it. I love it. It's always in my head. So, what do we have for yeah. us today, Beck? Okay, so today I thought we'd. Keep it at home. So we're looking at some weird and wonderful facts about Australia. Okay. So, yeah. Well, it's almost home for me because okay. I'm still applying for permanent residency. Yeah, yeah. We'll anyway. wait till that comes through. <laughs> so maybe we should do like Canada next week or something. Canada? Oh, Wait, what from? a great... Sorry. Oh, that was... California. That was, that was the bell. I totally knew. <laughs> we're best friends now. It's okay. We'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. So some facts about Australia. The Australian Alps receive more snow than the Swiss Alps. You're Did kidding. You know that? No. You are absolutely kidding. No. That is very difficult to believe. It's very difficult. They say we so should rebook. Is the Australian Alps the snowy mountain range? Like, I didn't look that deeply <laughs> into it, but I know that they receive. Well, those are the tallest mountains in Australia, yeah. right? Kosciuszko. So I think, I, but I also, assume. yeah, across not just one section, but all of them. So all that is of insane. The Australian Alps, more than Switzerland. So I'm a rock climber. So yeah. this this is really astounding to me because the the. Which Alps did you say? The Austrian Alps? No, Australian. Like all of the Australian Alps. As opposed Alps. to? Yeah. The Swiss Alps. Swiss, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So the Swiss Alps. So that's like where the Matterhorn is, yeah? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, there's a lot of climbing out there and a lot of mountaineering and skiing. That's just, yeah. oh, that blows me away. This is and there's like no snow in Australia. <laughs> we get more snow in California, I thought. Yeah. And we live in a drought That's what I all the time. Too. It actually encouraged me this holidays to be like, I've got to find snow. I'm Have you ever seen snow. snow? Once. 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 And I really liked it, but it was but right at the end of the season and it was all mushy. And so I really want to go. I want to go this year. I'm but keen. see, that's so weird to me because my experience coming, because California has, well, my local mountain where yeah. I grew up it was bigger than, was taller than Kosciuszko. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's just it's just so weird to me because my experiences with snow there versus here have yes. been drastically different. Yeah, okay. And so it just astounds me that Australian snow, which I have found to... Uh, no offense. Like, it's just... <laughs> there's just not as much of it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you mean deep-wise, like thickness? Is well, that and you often, often the temperature doesn't stay quite cold enough yeah, to yeah. keep it very dry and powdery. Okay. So often I find when I go to the snow here, it's a bit more slushy, yeah. which happens at any time, you know, yeah. in terms of any place at some point in the season. But yeah, anyway... Yeah. Okay, yeah, good I'm just, to know. I'm just good shocked. To know. Something else talking about being blown away is that Tasmania has the cleanest air in the world. In the world. In the world. Have you been to Tasmania? I haven't. I haven't been to very many places at all. That's okay. That's okay. There's, <laughs> there's still time. Plenty of time. Amen. I have been to Tasmania. <laughs> yeah. Um, a number of years ago, I, I used to study outdoor recreation, and I've worked in that industry for about six years. And I remember my second overnight bushwalk. Yeah. Was in a, it was in Tasmania. We were on a on a hiking trip, and we were guiding Year Nine boys. I think okay, they were. Yeah, I think yeah. they were Year Nine. Yeah. And man, it was just an astounding experience. In yeah. fact, when I was on this trip to Tasmania, I saw my first ever spring of water. Okay. And it yeah. just blew me away to see, just in this clean, pristine environment, this place where the water was literally just coming up to the surface and bubbling over, which was yeah. so cool because. Like the Bible talks about, Jesus talks about, in fact, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. That Jesus talks about the fountain of living water, right? He talks yeah. about that with the woman at the well. He talks about it in John 7. That's um, so cool talking about the fountain of living water. Super interesting just to think about how the Holy Spirit in us yeah. bubbles up, fills us up, and overflows just gently over the top. Yeah, And this, yeah. this spring, like it just watered this whole valley. Yeah. It was amazing. Anyway, that's sorry, so I digress. Cool. No, that's okay because it actually really um, segues into our next segment, which I was thinking really well is that 
Australia, in terms of beaches and water and the ocean... Oh, they're hard to top. Australia has... If you went to every beach, one uh, one a day, it would take 27 years to go to all of the beaches in Australia. You're kidding me. No, nah, that's what it said on the internet. Now that's not, oh, and it never the- lies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm catching the tongue-in-cheek there a little bit. <laughs> wow. So there was something about the beaches and the oceans. And the yeah, the, the last thing I wanted to share was some oh, fun you, facts. You're, you're jumping on past, past the beach, though, but I, I love the beach. I am. I knew you'd love the beach. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the ocean. Okay, tell me more. So this tell is what we're going to do because I know we're going to run out of time because we always have so many cool things to share. So talking about the ocean, about 70% of the oxygen that we breathe comes from the ocean. Isn't 70%. that amazing? But, and Not from the Amazon. living water. And I was like, man, like it's like what we need, the ocean that we have is full of life. It's full of living things. And it gives us the air that we breathe to keep us alive. Mm. And I was just thinking about what you're saying about um, the Holy Spirit and having it living in us and then it, it bubbling over. It's actually like the oxygen that's produced in the ocean by the plankton. And then it comes out. So it bubbles up. It bubbles over basically really from the water and keeps us alive and it's living water. And I just thought that was a really cool analogy. That is a really cool connection. Man, it's just amazing how God has made so many things in the natural world to yeah. teach us so many lessons. Hey, beautiful! It's so cool. I was just thinking, like, the one of the things that's cool about the ocean is that. Well, well I'm running out of time here, but I'll t- maybe I'll say it when we come back okay. after the break. I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. save it for later. Okay. This next song is Melissa Otto. Why should I? I'm sorry. I let fear and doubt in. As though I was an orphan As though you didn't care As though I walked alone As though no one finds before me As though you didn't notice As though I have no hope Why should I be afraid? Why should I?
Welcome back to Real Faith. You're listening to Faith FM. And uh, I just wanted to say just a, a big reminder to everybody out there, all of you who are listening, we love to hear from you. Yes. So if you've got questions or comments or you want to tell us a little bit about something you experienced in, say, Tasmania or Woo! one of the many beaches <laughs> in Australia... We'd encourage you to just call in with your questions, call in with your comments, text in. You can call in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in at 0491-064-669. Or you can also contact us via our Facebook, uh, Facebook, excuse me, <laughs> our Facebook page at Faith FM Australia. Awesome. So just before we get into the testimony yes, time, our testify segment. Yes, you had a for us, Roby, something you wanted to share. So there's something that I found out about the ocean. So I've been involved in a number of depression and recovery programs, yep. depression and anxiety recovery mm. programs. And one thing that I learned from this, because that's been an issue in my life, yep. is that oxygen and exercise are actually two of the most important things you need. Yeah in terms of getting your mental and physical health in, in, I guess, in control. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is that when you walk in a place such as the beach mm. or near a waterfall, the way that the water is, is compacting with force, like yeah. the crashing of the waves or the falling of the waterfall, it actually results in oxygen molecules kind of binding together. So you get not just O2 molecules, yeah, yeah. but you get... O3 molecules okay. where there's yeah. an extra oxygen molecule in there. And so when you're breathing that air at the beach while you walk or exercise, you're getting more oxygen in with every That's breath. That's cool. I didn't know It's actually really before. interesting. Yeah, yeah. So it's a great place to go to get some great exercises good for your mental and physical health. Awesome. But we're going to transition here and it's time now for our testify segment. Yeah. And so I want to just turn it over to you, Beck. And yeah. I want to just ask, what was life like for you before you encountered Jesus for yourself? Yeah, yeah. I grew up um, as a Christian. I grew up as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Um, with my parents, I had a wonderful childhood. We lived in the bush, which I loved, uh, being in nature there and having animals. Uh, another dear love of mine is animals. Um, so I was really well loved and cared for. And I really, I always grew up knowing, knowing Jesus and believing in him. And I feel like I had a really stronger faith even when I was really little than as I started to get older. Um, and for me, something that happened is I was a classic overthinker. And so I, I got to a point where I was really worried and I thought, man, do I, do I want to go to heaven because I want to be with Jesus or do I want to go to heaven because I want to live forever? And I was really distressed as like a 10, 11 year old that this was, I didn't really love Jesus. Um, and I was really concerned about that. And so I put off baptism because I wasn't sure if I was a hundred percent real and I know that that was a struggle for me. And then one day it just hit me. I was listening to a song. It wasn't even the song. I think it was just where I was. And it just hit me and I was singing and I thought, wow, actually, I do love Jesus. Like, I, I do love him. And that was such a blessing for me at that point. And at that point, I decided um, that I wanted to get baptized. And that was really awesome. That's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So you grew up in this Christian environment and yeah. this was that was the turning point for you where you said, I want a real relationship with Jesus for yourself, yeah? Well, I I realized that I actually he he loved me and I loved him mm. and I wanted to follow him. And so from that point forward I think I've I've always been following God and and in a relationship with him, but you have struggles, right? And so one of my struggles that I had a lot growing up was that and, and a struggle that I think I still have to, to an extent, I think um, sometimes we have issues and God will pray about them and God fully takes them away. I know some people have had that with smoking or drug addictions and things. And, and sometimes they pray and God fully takes things away. Whereas other times in our life, we have issues that we end up dealing with maybe our whole life mm. or we're growing through. 
And I think for me, that is knowing that my value comes from God and not from other things. And so as a kid, I really struggled with my appearance and my value coming from my appearance and what I looked like. And so I struggled with eating disorders for about seven years there um, from like 11 to 18. And I really struggled with that um, through high school. I was a lot taller and stuff than a lot of the other girls. And yeah, I really struggled with getting my value from inherently in God and not my appearances. And then I got to uni and I went the other way. I sort of was really worried about about what I looked like in high school. And then I got to uni, I thought, I don't care anymore. I don't want to worry about what I'm eating. So then I kind of just had whatever I wanted. And that's also not a healthy mindset. God wants us to be happy and healthy, right? Mm. So I ended up gaining up um, this whole, like a whole lot of weight, like kilos and kilos. And in that time, God was teaching me, your value doesn't come from your appearance. It doesn't come from what other people say, and it doesn't come from your appearance, but I still want you to be healthy. And so God's brought me on a really big health journey as well in my life. Um, and something that's that, that I'm working on at the moment. So a few years ago, I went plant-based and I found that that made a real difference. I lost about 20 kilos or so, 20, wow, 25 kilos. And so that's a journey I'm on at the moment. Um, yeah. But God, yeah, just wants to show you that your value doesn't come from other things, but he has things in your life that do give value and add value to yourself that you feel better about. And I feel so much better than I was before. That's such a huge point. And it's so, you know, what you're saying is so relatable to so many people. Yeah. So many people that I know, and myself included, right? Mm. We, and whether it be an, an eating disorder or something about appearance or something else, the idea that our value is determined by what God says about us yeah. is a game-changing piece of information. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's so awesome. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that, Beck, and it's so good to, to just hear more of your story. I look forward to hearing more about it. Um, this next song is Jaden Lavick, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now Shining at the sun 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. If uh, We just want to put a reminder out there to everybody. If you've got some burning Bible questions or anything else that you want to ask a question about, feel free to call in at 1-800-324-843. That's yeah. 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text in at 0491-064-669. Or you can also message in on our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. So we've just been talking about your story back, and yeah, you, messaged, yeah. you, you mentioned excuse me, that you had had a, a previous experience with eating disorders and how God has been working in your life to, to teach you that your value doesn't come from your appearance. Yes, yeah. And that's, yeah. Where, we were, that's where we left off, so let's yeah. pick it up from there. Yeah, so something that um, God wants to teach us is actually our value doesn't come from anything that we can do or anything that that is in our lives. So um, something else that happened to me is I did a nursing degree. And when I finished that nursing degree, there was a job freeze um, in WA at the time. And so they weren't hiring any nurses for one. Um, So there was a freeze on getting a job. And then I didn't do some of the things that you could do, like a a special program to get into nursing because I had thought I wanted to do something else. And I thought, oh, I'll just pick up some random shifts. Well, anyway, I couldn't get a job for about a year as a nurse, as a qualified registered nurse. I couldn't get a job. And that was a struggle, definitely um, not, not being able to find work in that area. And for people who might be out of a job at the moment, um, or looking at that, it can be uh, can feel really demoralizing sometimes, and you can feel like your value and your worth isn't there, um, and nobody wanted to hire me. But also, there wasn't a lot of jobs going, and I really believe in that time as well. Not that God made it happen, but God taught me that my value doesn't come, and my worth doesn't come from what I do. So it doesn't come from your appearances, it doesn't come from what you look like, mm. and it doesn't come from what you do. And something that um, had gone through my mind actually was thinking of, for some reason, people um, in World War II, the Jews in the concentration camps, and thinking that they didn't have really their appearance. Everything was taken from them. Often their head was shaved. They lost heaps of weight. They they looked really skeletal. They didn't have jobs and things that were showing their value. They weren't valued by the people around them, but they still had the same value and the same worth in that position. And I thought, do they have worth? And they do. Why? Because it comes from God. Our value doesn't come um, from any of these extra things. Although doing these things adds value to our life in terms of how we feel, our actual inherent value doesn't come from those things and it can't and it shouldn't because they can be taken away so quickly. That's so true. That's so true. That Oh, man, it's so powerful what you're saying, Beck. Yeah, yeah. Like, our significance doesn't change Mm. no matter whether we live up to expectations, don't live up to expectations. Our inherent value does not change because we were made in the image of God. Yep, amen. We were made by a God who loves us. And it doesn't matter if you were born with some sort of mental or physical disformity or you were born fully functioning or you're the top of the class, the bottom of the class or somewhere in between or whatever it is. Your, your value doesn't change because your value is determined by God and Jesus died yep. for you. Yeah, amen. So powerful. Amen. So we are all equally valued by God. He loves us all. Mm. And I just love that point. Um, something that is, is in, in scripture that is really encouraging to me is Psalm 139. I love Psalm 139. And it's, it's entitled actually God's Perfect Knowledge of Man. And I won't read it all. I'm just going to read a couple of highlighted bits in it. So verse 1 and 2, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all my ways. 
And so it says that God knows everything about us. He's acquainted with all of our ways. And then it says in verse four, there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So he knows what we say and what we're going to say. He knows the words that we hold back. But then it says that his thoughts towards us, as you go further in the psalm, he says that his thoughts towards us are so precious and he has these amazing thoughts for us and they're innumerable how he Mm. feels about us. And I think, Man, God knows us. He knows our inward parts, which means he knows the broken parts of us. He knows the things that we struggle with. He knows our sins, our deepest, darkest things that we won't tell anyone. He knows all of that. And yet he loves us and he sees us and he says that his thoughts are innumerable towards us because we're his children. If we accept him as our God and our father, we are his children. And so he loves us and he sees our value through Jesus and through the value that he's given us. Um, And that's just a beautiful picture to have of God and our value. And it's something, a journey that I'm still working on, you know, finding my value in Christ, but reminding myself when things happen that get me down, that my value doesn't come from those things, but it has to come from God. Totally. Oh, so, oh this, is, this is the gospel. Yeah. I love amen. this. This is such good news. Mm. I'm just reminded of a verse. I think it's in 1 John 3 where he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children, children of God. God. Right? Yep. Just what, what amazing love this is that God knows. Yep. And God still loves us. Amen. And it's not based upon what we've done or what we have not done. Yep. He loves us anyway. Yep. And he's calling for us to just like, just come to him. Yeah. Right? Amen. Come to me. Yeah. All you who are weary and heavy laden. So just one more question for you, Beck. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing, no by No worries. The way. You're welcome. Um, you mentioned specifically eating disorders. And yeah, I, just wanted, yeah. I just wondered if there was anything that you had that you would like to say specifically to anyone who may be dealing with that struggle who's yeah. listening. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a really hard thing. And sometimes people don't understand. I know in my life, um, my parents found out after a few years and they didn't really understand um, exactly why or all the reasons around. They wanted to help. But I just want to say when people try to help you and if you have friends or people you've told, try and accept it as much as possible, even if they don't understand the, the ins and outs of why. Realize that they have your best interest in heart. Um, but also for me, learning about different things, learning about health and foods that fueled me and were good for me. Um, I learned about foods that I would feel guilty from eating often. And those things are usually foods that are bad for you. And it can get to a point where anything, you know, salad you feel bad about, but often it's unhealthy things and bad things. So something that I've learned over time is to try and have a really balanced diet, Mm. um, and looking at whole foods and whole grains and things like that, um, were always a blessing for me uh, to come into fueling my body with good things. But other things I want to share is that um, you really, you want to get help. You want to seek help from someone. You want to find someone to confide in. And I would suggest that it's a mentor. If you're a... um, if you're a child, I suggest that it would be your parents or a teacher that you trust, somebody that you can um, share with, maybe um, a school chaplain, someone that, that can get you help and realize that you you do need help in this area, but God will get you through. Um, and the other thing is I just want to affirm you that um, this isn't the end of the journey and God doesn't want you to stay there. Mm. And your value doesn't come from this, but he doesn't want you to stay in that place. He wants you to grow and be healthy and happy and be able to live life to the full. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing some of your story with us today, Beck. It's been such a blessing. And I'm sure that many listening can relate 
and I've been just hearing your story and being encouraged by that. I'm reminded of a book that kind of talks about not so much eating specifically, yeah, but the yeah. idea of where do we derive our, our significance, our feelings mm-hmm. of value. It's a book by Robert McGee called The Search for Significance. Yep, I've heard of and that. And it's a great yep. book. It's helped me a lot. And it, it kind of identifies that we so often are looking for our value in how we perform mm-hmm. or in what others say of us. Yeah. Right? So acceptance means I'm valued. Yep. If I perform well, I'm valued. Mm-hmm. But God says, no, no, no. Those things can go away. Yeah. You can do a great job or you can do a bad job and and those things will fail you. And yet God's love for you remains the same. Amen. Amen. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, we're going to shift to our Bible study portion. And today we are looking at, drum roll, we are looking at Matthew chapter 23 in a moment which is actually not an encounter that Jesus has specifically, but it's more of a monologue. Yeah. But before we get into that, what we're talking about here is Jesus in Matthew 23 is addressing a group of people that he encountered over Mm. and over again. Yep, we see that. And that group was the scribes and Pharisees. So this group of people is a very interesting group of people. What what can you tell us? What do you know about the scribes and Pharisees, Beck? And there's, don't feel on the spot. <laughs> you may know much. You may know little. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. Just tell something, us what you'd like. Something that I know um, from Scripture about the Pharisees is that they were really based around the law. They tried to do everything based around the law, and they wanted to keep it to try and appease God or like keep God happy with them. Mm. That's sort of an understanding that I had, but also they're really learned people. They know a lot um, and, and they were really respected in their society. Totally. So these are, this is the group of religious leaders, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and there were different sects, so to speak, of, of religious leaders in Jerusalem in the first century. You have a group called the Sadducees. Yeah. And the Sadducees were learned men of the priestly class. Often they would have dwelled in Jerusalem. And this group had some stark theological differences between their group and another sect called the Pharisees. Yes. Yep. The Pharisees, however, were, were more like local pastors, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They were also theologians in their own right in that sense. However, they, they dealt more with the people in the synagogue, in the local community. Yeah. So, so often we talk about the Pharisees and we think, oh, these are just like, these are the bad people. And they are not painted very very well in scripture. Especially right? not in Matthew. Definitely not in Matthew. Yeah. I, I looked it up today and I found 32 occurrences of the word Pharisee and I didn't find a single positive one. Yeah. Just to give a bit of an insight. Yeah. But Matthew one, wasn't a fan. That no. <laughs> That's right. But here's one of the things that I think we seldom, as outsiders reading into the Bible, yeah. we seldom grapple with the reality that these were the equivalent of people that we would see leading in ministry today. Yes, 100%. And in fact, yeah. it's very easy for me to point the finger because there are flaws, right? There are flaws in every religious system. There yeah. are flaws in every church. There are flaws in every leader, just as there are in every person. Yeah. However, I have been so blessed by some people who have been in roles like the Pharisees would have been in. I can remember, uh, you know, there was a youth pastor, for example, when I lived in Las Vegas as a teenager, yeah, yeah. who introduced me to so much of who I understand Jesus to be. Amen. He introduced me so much into scripture and really helped to start this journey for me of, of faith when I was searching That's for God. That's cool. That's awesome. He invested in me. Yeah. This is somebody who has valued my, like added so much value to my life. Yeah, yeah. And this is the this is the kind of role that the Pharisees would have been in. But it's so easy for us in these roles of responsibility to go from a place where we understand what we need to understand and we're doing the right thing by God and we're making the difference to where we start to slip off track and slowly go off on tangents yeah. and miss the main point. Yeah. 
So before we get into Matthew 23, and Beck's looking at me because I've um, this is all kind of like surprise to her what I'm going to share right now. So in, if you do a Google search, not a Google search, a Bible search, a word search for Pharisee, I just want to go over yeah. a couple of the first instances of the word Pharisee in the book go of Matthew. So check yeah. this out. Matthew 3 verse 7 is the first place where Pharisees show up. This is during the time where John the Baptist is announcing that the Messiah will come yep. and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. Okay. At this point, the first encounter we see with the Pharisees between him, the Pharisees and John the Baptist is, is one where John says, you brood of vipers. Yeah, heavy. And then he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? So the first introduction that we get to this group of people is not a positive connotation. Yeah. But this begs the question, well, but that's not Jesus, yeah. right? So what about their first encounter we have in the book of Matthew by Jesus? And so you go down, Matthew chapter five, Jesus speaks about this group and he says, hey, your righteousness, speaking to a group of people, mm-hmm. he says, must exceed that the of righteousness the of the Pharisees, yeah. right? He says, an indication here that there's something amiss with this group of religious leaders. There's something amiss they Which seem is, to be righteous. Yeah, I was going to say that's really um, amazing to the people probably then as well because the people basically viewed the Pharisees as being the most righteous and the more you are like that. I don't think they liked it, but I think they, they looked towards them and um, all the rules and the things that the Pharisees followed, they were like, oh, they're so holy because of these things. Mm. And so for Jesus to then say these you know, religious leaders actually have, like you say, something awry, something amiss with what they were sharing um, was probably a really big, um, you know, something for them that they hadn't thought of before. Yeah, fully. Imagine that somebody came and said to you something negative about the person that you thought was the most pious or righteous person, right? Yeah. It would astonish you. Now check this out. The first interaction that we have in the gospel of Matthew between Jesus and the Pharisees is this. Matthew chapter nine, it says that when the Pharisees saw what Jesus was doing. Mm. They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Insinuating that Jesus was associating with the wrong crowd and that he should not have been dealing with these people. In the very next passage, the next paragraph, it says, then the disciples of John came and asked him this question about the Pharisees. But later on in the chapter, it says the Pharisees then interact with Jesus and they say, Jesus casts out demons by the ruler of, of demons. Yeah, heavy. And so the first words that we have recorded in the Gospel of Matthew of the Pharisees about Jesus is that Jesus is doing his miraculous works by the power of satanic agencies. Yeah. That's not a true huge at claim. All. Yeah. Absolutely not true. Yeah. But what a huge claim. So we're not off to a good start here, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we're going to come in from these interactions that continue to go on into how Jesus responds with them when we come back from this break. This is Matt Mayer, Your Love Defends Me. You are my joy, you are my song, you are the well, the one I'm drawing from. You are my refuge, my whole life long. Where else would I go? Surely my God is the strength of my soul. Your love defends me. Your love defends me. And when I feel like 
Welcome back to Real Faith FM. Well, that's a bit of a blunder, isn't it? Welcome back to Real Faith on Faith FM. If uh, you guys have any questions that you would like answered in our question of the day portion, yes. we just want to, again, encourage you. You can text in or call in your questions, your comments about anything you like at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in at... 0491-064-669. Please text in. We totally want questions. Awesome. We look forward <laughs> to hearing from you guys. All right. So this is where we're up to. So the Pharisees have had these interactions with Jesus. And as we go through, interaction after interaction just demonstrates a hardness of the heart. Yeah. Now, it's not true that all of the Pharisees rejected Jesus. Nicodemus yes. was 
one of the clearest examples of a Pharisee. And yeah. he, in John chapter 3, has an interaction with Jesus he where seeks Jesus. he, he seeks out for Jesus, to, right? Yeah. And it's very interesting what happens at the end of his life. And we might do some exploration of Nicodemus at some point in the cool. future. We'll see. I like it. But the majority of the Pharisees that we see in these depictions are not coming to Jesus and responding positively. No, 100%. Often we see them come to Jesus and they're trying to trap him with questions that are conundrums, right? Like ask him a paradox question where if he answers one way, they can get him this way. Mm -hmm. If he answers the other way, he can get him that way. And we see this happen over and over and over. And in Matthew 22, we see another example of this. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him a tricky question to try and get the crowd off of him. Who should you pay taxes to? Should we pay taxes to mm-hmm. Caesar or not? Well, if he says yes, the people will hate him because they hate taxes. Yeah. And well, who doesn't? They hate Caesar. But right? Yeah. But Caesar's an oppressive power. And yeah. if he says no, well, then they can turn him over to, to the Romans yeah. because he's saying that we should not be following the laws that are of the laws of the land. And so he just sidelines it, says, Show me whose picture is on there. Yeah. They say it's Caesar. We'll pay to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And yeah. they're flabbergasted. Yeah. The Sadducees then come and they're going to try their angle mm. and they fail. Yeah. And then we come to chapter 23. So right after these two instances, we come into this. Yeah. So, Beck, could you read for us Matthew chapter 23? And if you could read for us verse 1 through verse, oh, verse 6. Okay, sure. So, verse 7. <laughs> 1 through 7. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. All right, now that is a scathing bit of a remark, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Right? It's and it gets, it's going to get more it's scathing. It's basically, you know, talking about their character and, and what they were like, and this is what they're like. They want to be seen. They want to be loved. But Jesus says, don't be like them. Isn't that powerful? So in this first, the first section of Matthew 23, he's actually addressing everyone else in the crowd He's not speaking specifically to the, the, the Pharisees, yeah. but they're present, he's, right? Yeah, he's talking about them. They're present. Yeah. And we know that, oh, isn't it interesting? Like, we so often talk about Jesus and we see this picture of, of kindness and of grace yeah. and of generosity and yeah. of reaching to the outcast. What's going on here? Mm. Like, Jesus is not saying kind things about yeah. these people. And in fact, the first portion, the first 12 verses in this chapter, he's not even speaking directly to them. It'd yeah. be like me saying... To, to Liam, the, who's producing on the radio, don't be like Beck, right? <laughs> While Beck's present. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is astounding. Why? Yeah. What, what's going on here? Something um, that it comes to mind, actually, is our portrayal of Jesus often. How, how the media portrays Jesus and how he's portrayed to us is that um, really kind, really loving, really caring, which he was, but... He's not just a pushover. He's not someone who just mm. ignores things that are wrong. Um, he sought justice, and that's something that he he always sought to do. Um, and, and it was part of his basically his um, mantra for life was to to seek justice for people. And he's looking at the scribes and the Pharisees and saying what they're doing is not just. So love isn't just accepting everyone and allowing you to be walked all over. We know that if someone's being oppressed, if a child's being beaten um, somewhere, if they were attacked, uh, an adult also 
someone would look at that and say, that's not just, we need to stop it. So the right thing to do would be to stop that action. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's looking at it and saying, this isn't right. And this isn't a right portrayal of God. So I need to stop this action and tell you the truth. Totally. And you know, something that I think is really important to think about here, and I'm, I'm, I'm debating whether I should say it now or save it for later. I'm saying it now in case so I don't forget <laughs> because I think this is really valuable. Yeah. There's a, there's a reaching out that we can do to someone who's wounded, who's hurt. Yeah. We need to be gentle and we need to be caring, right? Yeah, yeah. But then there comes a point sometimes where someone is on like, they're, they're on a train and the tracks are running out and yeah. they're about to go off the bridge. And mm-hmm. you can talk nice and you can, try, you can try and coax them and be sympathetic and empathetic. But the closer they get to the, to the bridge that's broken, that the train's about to fly off, yeah. you need to speak to them in a different way. Yeah. Right? If you're like five kilometers from the bridge, I can try and reason with you. You're mm-hmm. four kilometers. I could still try and reason with you. Yeah. You're 200 meters away. You're, you got 10 seconds left. All I can do is shout to you, you're going to die. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Change course now jump mm-hmm. off the mm-hmm. train right and yeah. this is what jesus is doing. yes 100 percent. he's actually speaking because sometimes we think that love is only speaking with kind words mm. now most of the time love does speak kindly right yeah, yeah but there are times when love has to say something to wake us up yeah and this is what jesus is doing here he's trying to wake them up because he doesn't want them to be condemned yeah i love that illustration we see as we go further which we'll get to later where um where jesus is speaking and he's like i wish you were listening to me That's i right. wish you had listened and he's lamenting the fact that they that they haven't but here he's trying to save all the people that are listening and the people that will listen mm. and sometimes it's it's kind of like what you're saying about the train robbie if there was like three people that are listening jesus is going to go for them or we would go and we would tell them there's maybe 10 other people and you know that they're going to be hit by the train because they're not listening. That and, and you would weep for them. You would be sad that they weren't listening. But there would be three other people there that you're trying to get to because they, they're right on the edge. And that's, that's right. what Jesus is trying to do. That's right. He's trying to reach everybody. Yeah. And so he's using a drastic technique. Yeah. Right? Yep. So check this out. There's some super interesting stuff. Now, I know some of you were listening to that and you were like, like me, you're like, what in the world is a phylactery? Right? <laughs> And why yeah. is he talking about the corners of their garments yeah, or yeah. clothes, right? Yeah. So I just want to highlight a couple of things here. Yeah, that's good. So I this like is, it. So this is super interesting. He says here in verse 3, do what they tell you to observe because they sit in Moses' seat. Now, we know archaeologically that there was an actual seat in the synagogue that when they sat down to teach scripture, mm. they would sit in. Yeah. And so he's saying, hey, when they're showing you from scripture what God is saying, yeah. listen to that. Yeah. But don't do what they do. Yeah. Listen to the words they're saying because they're speaking to you from God's word. But guess what they're doing? Yeah. They're not practicing what they preach. Yeah. And we all know that when like often people will say like jokingly, they'll be like, oh, do what I say, but don't do what I do. That's right. You know, and that's what this is what's happening. That's here. right. He's saying their their words, they're speaking here from God when they're when they're interpreting scripture in synagogue. Mm hmm. But what they're doing is they're not obeying what yeah. God has, has no. told them to do. And then he goes on. He says, all right, here, let me give you some examples. They say and they don't do. They, pra- they, they, they preach, but they don't practice. For they bind heavy burdens and they lay them on people. All their works they do to be seen by others. Mm. And then he says this. He says, they make their phylacteries broad. Okay, question. In 10 seconds or less, can you tell us what a phylactery is? Is a phylactery like the headdress thing that they wore? Good guess. Close. Ah! Okay. So there are four passages in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 13, 
has two of these. Deuteronomy chapter four, sorry, chapter six and chapter eleven mm-hmm. include these statements where it says, where God had told them, bind these commandments, these words as a <gasps> sign square boxes. between your yes. eyes, right? Yep, yep, on the yep. frontlet, on the forehead, mm-hmm. or on your arm. Yeah. Right? Now what's interesting is that this was not meant to be a physical thing. God no. wasn't saying, hey, take little pieces of scripture, no. yep. write them in a box and put them on your forehead. Yep. Because guess what? If it's not inside your mind, mm-hmm. if it's not outward with your actions, then it's not really doing you any yeah. good. Yep. That was the purpose. Your hand represents your what actions, you do. what you yeah. do. Between your forehead is mm-hmm. where you think, where mm-hmm. you choose to worship. It says yep. in the way that you think, do these things. So it's really interesting what they would do. And this actually, the scholars debate as to when this came in, whether it was during the period of the Kings or even the Maccabees between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, but it was certainly in practice at this time mm-hmm. during the first century. And what's going on is that sometimes people would would wear these phylacteries, a little box with these scripture texts in them, and they would put them on their forehead yes. and on their arm during their prayer time. Now, some very pious people would wear them all the time. Now, think about this. If you wear your your little thing on your head for prayer time, but I'm going to wear it all the time, what's mm-hmm. that communicating to you? That you're praying all the time. I'm praying all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm more spiritual. I'm more religious. I am so righteous. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Why are you wearing it out in front of everybody if not to get their attention? Yeah. And there was a practice where some of them would even make the binding, so the strap that goes from the box around your head, thicker mm-hmm. so that it was visible from a further distance. Yeah, yeah. And so what he's saying here is, You are making a demonstration of righteousness by show, but you're not living it in your actions. Yeah, yep. And the same thing with the garments. They would, God said, make a corner of your garments with Mm -hmm. blue thread that was representative of God's law, right? The Torah. And they they would do this. But here he's saying, you make the corners of your garments broad so that people will think you are more righteous than you actually are. Yeah, yep. So Jesus then goes on, and we're going to race through a little bit. He goes on to tell them some other things from verse 8 through verse 12, but we're going to skip some of that just for sake of time because mm-hmm. I want to get to these woes. Yeah. So we're going to come down to verse 12. Can you read verse 12 for us? Because I think this is, the, this is the crux of what he says to the disciples. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Woo! What a, what a statement. Yeah, yeah. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That can also be translated lifted up. Yeah, yeah. It often makes me think of actually um, people who are humble these days. And you think of, I think especially in Australia, we love people who maybe are great leaders, but they're humble, right? Mm. We don't like people who are making themselves bigger than they are. We love to see someone who's a great star, um, like Hugh Jackman or someone, and then they're just talking to the normal person, having lunch out mm. um, with every Joe Blow. It's it's something that you realize that they do have value and importance um, in our society, but the fact that they're relating to people, they're humble. And it's something that's beautiful, you know? Um, it makes me also think about people in the Bible who were great leaders, people like Moses. He was a wonderful leader. He was one of the best leaders probably that Israel ever had, but he was so humble. And the same thing with David. David was anointed king when he was just a teenager. Um, he was anointed king in in prophetically that it was going to happen in the future mm. for all of Israel, but it didn't happen for years. So for years, he ran around in the desert. He was basically pursued by enemies. He was almost killed many times, mm. um, but he was really humble in that he had opportunity to kill his arch nemesis, basically Saul. He had that opportunity to do that, but he didn't because he he feared him in the Lord, saying that this, this man had been put in that position by God. So he didn't always say what Saul 
Saul did was right, but he called him out on it. And he said, Saul, why are you chasing me? Um, And he was humble. So then God put David in the position of king, but Mm. David didn't have to do anything to put himself there. He was humble and it was God who esteemed him and God who lifted him up. And I think that that's something we we look at here that Jesus is talking about, not esteeming yourself, allowing God to do that in the right time, if that's Mm. what he wants to do. That's a great point. We shouldn't. We shouldn't seek to exalt or lift ourselves up. Yeah. We should look at ourselves humbly and, and think of ourselves as someone who should serve others and mm. let God lift us up. That's a great point, Beck. And Jesus is the perfect example of that. Yeah. How does Jesus get most exalted? Philippians 2, 5 through 11. You should look that up, by the mm-hmm. way, if you're listening. You should definitely look up Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It's my favorite passage in all of Scripture. It talks about how Jesus steps down, steps down, steps down, steps down, and he will therefore be given the highest position of all. Yeah, yeah. Jesus is lifted up on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same language, lifted up. He's humbled. He will be lifted up, and by doing that, he draws all men to himself. This is how the character of God is fully displayed. Yeah. I love this. All right, so this is... This is what's going on here. And he talks to the disciples and he says, hey, don't be like this group of people. Yeah. Be humble. Practice what you preach. Mm. Don't make a pretense by praying loudly or pretending to be spiritual. It's not about what logos you wear. It's not about people thinking you're a Christian because you say things. It's about people knowing you're a Christian because they can see that your character reflects Christ. Amen. So your important. words should reflect Christ. Your actions should reflect Christ. And we should be humble and willing to serve all for the sake of lifting them up because that's the very nature of who God is. Yeah. And he's saying that these religious leaders were saying, we are righteous. We are keeping the law of God. We are, we are doing the right thing. And yet their actions spoke so much louder than their words yeah. and spoke totally contrary. And that's the thing. People know that. They can see that. If you say be kind to someone and then you turn and are unkind, they say, well, I don't trust him. So even if they say things, it even put into doubt what they were sharing about God because what they did wasn't in line with what they shared. Totally. Totally. This is Ali and Layton. Love takes time. Please don't wash my feet. Wash me all over to learn to serve like thee. Can it be a little easier? Why can't I put you? Take 
Welcome back to Real Faith. I'm Robbie, and this is Beck over yeah. here. And uh, you're listening to Faith FM. Just wanted to remind you, if you have any questions, any questions about the Bible, about God, etc., you can call or text those into 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text in at 0491-064-669. Or you can also message in on our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. So we're back in Matthew 23, and we're going to continue. Now, the remarks get even more scathing from here. Yeah. So can you read for us, Beck, Matthew 23, verse 13 and 14? I can do that. Actually, just 13. We'll go, okay. we'll go one by one. So there's seven woes. Let yeah. me just say that out loud. Mm-hmm. There's seven woes that are given to the, the Pharisees and the scribes. And what is a woe? What's a woe? Okay, so woe is, is like, it's calling out and saying, danger. Yeah. Woe to you. Mm-hmm. There's, there's danger coming. There's, there's damage coming. This yep. is not good. Okay. Be aware. Be aware. Right? Right. So verse 13 says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. All right, so what's the point here? Oh, it's a tricky one. He says basically that they're not, they're not doing the things they need to do, and then they're not allowing people who are heading that way to do them because they, they're turning them astray. Basically, they're telling them the wrong things. That's right. So you've been studying the scriptures, searching, searching for the Messiah, searching for how to come to God, and here's the Messiah. Here's God in the flesh, yeah. and he's saying to you, come, and you're saying no. Yeah, he's the wrong <laughs> and one. And not only that, you're telling everyone else mm. you can't get in. Mm. Right? You're trying to keep everyone else out of God's kingdom, and you don't want to go in. You don't want anyone else to go in. Yeah. You're deceiving yourselves. Woe to you. That's number one. Okay, number two, verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Now, isn't that interesting? Yeah. He says, you will receive greater Mm. condemnation. And there's, there's another place in Scripture where he says, hey, look, if the signs that had been done here for you... In the you know for the children of Israel here in Jerusalem, yeah. if these signs had been done in Tyre and Sidon, in Sodom and Gomorrah, it, they would in have these accepted. These other cities, yeah. Right? These other places that rejected God, he says, if they'd seen what you saw, even they would have repented. Yeah, right? yeah. So he's making some some very harsh remarks. Yeah. And again, he's not saying these to condemn them. He's in fact saying it to warn them: mm-hmm. you're condemning yourselves. Yeah, yeah. You're sealing your own fate. Yeah. I've got mercy for you, but I can't force it upon you. You have to accept it or and, it's not yours. And something that we see here is is Jesus' justice coming through again as well. He talks about them devouring widows' houses. Mm. Well, what does that mean? Well, something that the Pharisees used to do um, is they would they would be receiving uh, tithe and money from people. And something that they would do is they would come alongside widows and pious people, people who, um, who were trying to follow God. And they would say, if you give your money to us, then we will use it for God's work. And so these widows, these people who didn't have much money at all would give their money to the Pharisees and then the Pharisees would would misuse it. They wouldn't be using it appropriately. Mm. And we see Jesus saying that this isn't just, this isn't the right thing. But something that gives me real hope is we see another part where Jesus talks about a widow and we it's called the widow's mites and she has basically no money, you know, a, a very tiny amount of money and she goes to put it in the offering and Jesus calls his disciples. It's such a big thing for him. He says, come here, come and watch, see this lady, this, this woman. She would have been ragged. She wouldn't have had much stuff at all. It would have been very apparent that she was poor and she puts in the money 
which is a very small, like a pittance, maybe $5 or less. You know, it was a very small amount. And he says to his disciples that she has done greater than everybody around her because she had that was all she had and she put it in. Whereas other people had so much money and they put it in to look good and for a show, but it wasn't worth as much in his eyes That's because right. of what she did. Yeah. And so for me, it, it highlights again that Jesus loves and cares for these people. But the fact that we will be blessed if we do God's work and, and with a pure motive, even mm. if it doesn't go to the right things. I think that sometimes that is something that we can be encouraged. This woman, her money was maybe misused by the scribes and Pharisees, but Jesus didn't tell her, don't put it in. He said, you're giving it to God. In your eyes, you're going to be blessed mm. because of that. Oh, that's a great point. It's a great point. So let's read the next one. So he goes on in verse 16. And do you want to just read verse 16 through 20, oh, this one's a bit long. Maybe 16 through, no, just do it. 16 through 20. Just go for it. 15 through 20? Uh, Do we do 15? Oh, sorry, 15. Just go 15. (laughs) (laughs) Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Wow. Mm. What's a proselyte? Uh, somebody who's following you, somebody who's like a, a believer. Yeah, so a, a convert, disciple, right? A convert, yeah. right? Like, so he says, you go searching the world for people <laughs> to come and become Jewish people, right? Yeah. He says, you're, you're, and, and you know, Christians do the same thing, right? Yeah. We're searching the world to find people to come and follow Jesus. He says, but when they do, when they come to follow the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you make them twice as much a son of hell yeah, wow. as you are. Yeah, that's a that's a that's an ouch statement, right? Mm, He's mm. saying, "Look, you're not only doing the wrong thing, but you're teaching people to become even worse than you." Yeah, and no wonder they receive greater condemnation because that's of right. what they're doing. And when you are in a position of authority, yeah, it's heavy. you have greater responsibility. Yeah, and that's one of the things that terrifies me about mm. working in ministry. Yeah, me too. Because what if I teach the wrong thing? Well, yeah. man. People take my word as gold. Now, by the way, you shouldn't. You should take the Bible as gold. Amen. And not just take anyone else's word for it. Yeah. You should check it against Scripture because I'm fallible. You're fallible. Yep. God is the only one who's not fallible. Yep. But it's a powerful thing, and it's an important thing that when we're in a responsible role, we need to be ethical and have integrity and teach the truth. Yeah. Are we? Uh, yeah, I think even just looking at some of the situations that we have in society around the world today, people who are in charge of things, if you have a responsibility in society, you're viewed as, as um, more culpable for things that are happening, right? You're viewed as, as having, like if you're a teacher and you're teaching kids, but you teach them the wrong thing, it's viewed worse than if someone on the street tells them the wrong thing. Totally. Why? Because you're responsible. You're much more responsible. That's right. You would be much more upset if the lifeguard misinformed you about giving CPR than if your neighbor who doesn't know anything and can't swim gave you instructions on CPR, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because you'd expect them to know. Yeah. So you'd trust them as an authority. All right, so we'll we'll keep reading on, but we're going to run out of time here. We're just not going to be able to get through them all. So we're going to skip ahead, and we'll just do – we'll get a quick smattering. Uh, Can you read 23 and 24? Yeah. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. He calls them blind. He calls them blind a few times in this passage. But what's the main point of this one? 
The main point is that they are looking at tithing, which is giving 10% of their right. earnings to God. Which God asked for. Out of their herbs. And, and so he's saying, wow, you go so far as to doing this with your herbs. And he's saying, that's a good thing. You shouldn't have not done that. But he says, the things that you've neglected are the weightier things, the more important things. So justice and mercy. That's right. Um, and faith in God. You're, Le- you're yeah. neglecting that. Totally, right? Keep... Like major in the majors and minor in the minors, yeah, right? Yeah. Like focus the most effort on the biggest things. Yeah. Doesn't mean you should forget the small things. Yeah. But the small, like, but the smaller issues should not be made the bigger issues and mm. then forget the bigger issues. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So he's saying here, focus on the first things first, and then focus on the second thing second. He goes on then to say, let's read the next one. So let's read twenty-five and twenty-six. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. All right, pause there. So he says, hey, look, you're clean in the outside, but the yep. inside's still dirty. Dirty, yeah. And then in verse 27, he says, oh, I think this is the summary statement. Just, Do you want to just read 27 and 28? And this is like the summary of what he says to yeah. them. Yeah. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Ouch, right? You are a whitewashed tomb. You painted the outside, but you're dead inside. Mm. Powerful statements. Yeah. And to summarize this up a little bit, it just comes kind of like to the conclusion that Jesus, at the end of all of this, he says a couple more things, but then in verse 37, he says, oh, Jerusalem, mm. Jerusalem, yeah. the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. He wanted to save them from this, but they weren't willing. Because and that's the saddest thing. Because God cannot save you if you are not willing to let him in. Yeah. So it's just a powerful statement here. Powerful statement. Like, I love this because, you know, Jesus is in a position where he's saying, look, this is the challenge. Yeah. This is where you're at. Mm-hmm. But I want to save you. Yeah. So come and let me save you. Yeah, let me save you. Come in. Beautiful. So we're going to go to a song now. The song is Ron and Patty Valiant. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Let not your heart be troubled, ye believe in God. Let not your heart be troubled, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you If I go and prepare a place for you I will come again Let not your heart be troubled You believe in God Let not your heart be troubled Believe also 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM, and uh, we've got that wonderful time of the day. We have come to Question of the Day. <laughs> I love this part of the show. Super excited. We've got a question that's come in from Jeff, and um, we're going to read that out to you in a moment, but we just want to encourage you guys. Thank you so much for for calling in with your question Jeff we're excited to have a look at what you've what you've asked and we just want to encourage everybody else remember you can always call in or text in with your questions so the question for today is I heard that Lyle said on the radio in the breakfast show people who don't know Jesus I don't know if that was in there but anyway yeah it was people who don't know Jesus and have never heard of him will still be saved and enter the kingdom of God how can this be if people have never heard the gospel or never believed in Christ, surely their sins would not be forgiven when they pass away. So thank you so much for that question, Jeff, and we're gonna do our best to address that in the time that we have. And the first place that we wanna go to is we wanna go to Romans chapter one and verse 20. Mm. 
Do you want to read that for us, Beck? Yeah, I've got it. So it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being made understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay, now that's a super interesting passage. So Paul is saying here that wherever you've been born into, whatever place in history, whatever culture, whatever background, whether that be pagan mm. or Christian, yep. whether that be Jewish, whether that be Muslim, whether that be whatever it is, he says everybody has an inkling, a knowledge of God to some extent, yeah, right? Through the invisible attributes of the world, right? Through nature, through things. There's something, I know a lot of people who say that they don't believe in God, but they believe in something bigger, something better, because they go by the ocean, they go into rainforest, they can see things and feel things. And through that, they're actually manifesting, they're seeing the glory of God in nature. And so we have we have scripture talk about, here in Romans chapter one, there's there's divine revelation specifically through God speaking through prophets, which mm-hmm. we have in the scripture. Yeah. And then there's also just nature itself declares attributes of God. And so everybody has a measure of faith given to them, Paul tells us. Yeah. And here he's saying that those who have not had exposure to the scripture, who have not had exposure to the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. have still had exposure by the power of the Spirit to see something of God. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they've had full revelation. The truth is none of us have had full revelation, by yeah. the way, because we've only been able to see what we can see, right? I think that also comes along with even like a moralistic how we are as humanity, knowing what is good inherently and knowing what is wrong. There are things that we all know as a human race are right and we all know are wrong. And that's an inbuilt knowledge uh, coming from the Holy Spirit. Mm. So while everyone may not know the name of Jesus specifically, Jesus is still able to save those who are willing to follow what they know of God to the extent that they know and to repent of the sin that they are aware of. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Now let me take this further because that's just one verse. But I think it's very interesting. Later in chapter two, he talks about, well, you you had one that you were mentioning before in chapter two. If you want to come back to that, you can. In chapter two of Romans, verse 28, he says, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and mm. circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, yeah. not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. And what I see in this connection to Romans chapter 1 is that it's talking about the spirit of God speaking to someone inside. Yeah. You may not have been a Jewish person mm-hmm. in the time before Christ, but that doesn't mean that God was not necessarily still able to work. For example, we have the a number of examples in Scripture of people who were coming as Gentiles yeah. and not coming as Jews, like but coming to faith. Melchizedek is a great example, but yeah. we also have, in the New Testament even, the three wise men. Well, we say three. Yeah. We don't know how many there were, actually. Yeah, There's yeah, at least yeah. two. Yeah. But the Magi, the wise men who yeah. come from the Far East, yes. they're not Jews. No. They're Gentiles, and they come to worship this Messiah, yeah. whose name they would not have known. Very interesting because God had been working in their life where they were. Yeah. Another interesting point to note is what about all of the people in the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. Is there any chance for salvation for any of them? Because they lived before Jesus. They did not know Jesus' name. Yeah, they didn't know his name. So how can, how can anyone prior to Jesus be saved by Jesus? And I want to just give a couple of biblical examples. In Acts chapter 2, verse 29, Peter is preaching and he speaks about somebody called David who many of you might know. King David is told in this paragraph, in chapter two of Acts, Acts, Mm -hmm. he says that 
David's body is here, yeah. right? And then he goes on in verse 34 and he says, and we know that his body is here and that he has not gone to heaven, mm-hmm. but is David lost? No, we know that David's saved. Well, we know that David's saved. Well, how do we know that? And we go to 1 Kings chapter 14 and verse 8. Yeah. And in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 8, there's this amazing passage. And this is God speaking through a prophet about King David after David has died. Notice what he says. He says, my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. Now, here's a question. Did David do only what was right? No, but he had it in his heart. But what about Bathsheba? Yeah. What about the times where he did things that we see in scripture that Mm -hmm. were sin, straight up sin? Yeah. Sleeps with another man's wife, has her husband killed, marries her, does all this. And there's Mm -hmm. other stuff that he did as well. But yet because he repented, because he sought for grace and forgiveness, Mm. he was forgiven. And we know that he is saved. Yeah. Two other prime examples of people who didn't know the name of Jesus who are saved would be Moses and Elijah. Mm -hmm. We know this because Matthew 17 verse 3 tells us that when Jesus went to what's called the Mount of Transfiguration Mm -hmm. and before the three disciples that were there, he was displayed in his heavenly glory, that Moses, who had died, and in Jude 7 we were told he was resurrected and taken to heaven, he appears resurrected from Mm -hmm. heaven. Mm -hmm. And also Elijah, who was taken to heaven. Now, neither of these people knew the name of Jesus. How could they be saved? And yet they're in heaven as representatives, right? So this is a super interesting point. One other point that I'd like to really, really make here is that how can God be just Mm -hmm. if he doesn't allow for people who did not have the same opportunity to know of God to be judged according to what they know. Yeah. I think this is a really valuable point to consider because the Bible tells us over and over, God is just, God is fair, and he mm-hmm. judges rightly. Mm. And there's an interesting point that I want to make here. In, in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, this amazing passage, the amazing passage says, For God is not slack concerning his promise, as some consider slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us, not yeah. willing that any should perish, mm but that all should come to repentance. Amen. And the key there is, if you have never had the chance to hear the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. is repentance still an option for you? Mm-hmm. And that, I believe, is yes. Yeah. The answer to that question, I believe, is yes. You can respond to what God reveals to you to the extent of your knowledge, and God is gracious and will save those who have responded to him as best as they knew how. Amen, that's beautiful. And I believe that's the answer to the question. So thank you for your, for your question, Jeff. This is Kemi Ogendi, Everything.
Welcome back to Real Faith. You're listening to Faith FM, and this is Robbie and Beck. And you. oh man, it's just, wow! What a what a great show today. Super excited and so so grateful for Jeff's question. Um, oh, I just had a thought that I was going to say and I didn't. I forgot it. The sacrificial system. Oh, that's right. I think it's and it's also interesting to note. Many people think that in the Old Testament, people were saved by the sacrificing of animals, mm. but in the book of Hebrews, in chapters eight, nine, ten. Paul talks about here how it was not the blood of the goats and the lambs that actually saved them from their sin. Yeah. It was all pointing forward in faith to the sacrifice that Jesus made once for all for all people. Jesus is the lamb slain from when? From the foundation of the, the world. world. Mm. Right? And that means that his sacrifice from the foundation of the world is accessible to all to the extent that they are able to know and to choose. Mm, amen. And I think that's a really valuable point. Amen. But let's draw out a couple quick applications from what we studied here with the Pharisees and the scribes. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's hear. What did you get out of that, Beck? Yeah. Give us a couple dot points. Something I really like um, in verse 23, um, chapter 23, verse 3, he says, Therefore, whatever they tell you to do, do it. But whatever they do, don't do it. And I think, man, that's really challenging. But it reminds me of a parallel of Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I'm like, wow, that's so heavy. Imagine me going around and saying, be like me because I'm like Jesus. Like that's such a heavy thing, but beautiful. And I want to be that. I want to aspire to be that. And I think that for us, we should be looking to do that. So walk as closely as we can, follow Jesus as closely as possible so that when people see us, they actually see Jesus. Yeah. And remember also that in line with that, if Paul had decided to go astray from that, mm. stop following Paul, yeah. continue following Jesus. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's important to consider when we think about religious leaders and teachers. Yep. No one is the authority except for Jesus. Yeah. In that passage, we didn't read this, but Jesus said, don't call anyone else rabbi or teacher mm. because you have one teacher, Christ. Yeah. Yep. So study scripture for yourselves, and that's a powerful thing. Yeah. Don't just take my word for it. Yeah. See what the Bible really says. Yeah. 
Some other things that stick out to me from that is, man, we have a responsibility to be faithful Mm -hmm. in our representation, but it also shows me, man, God is gracious, and there are times where God goes to extreme measures in order to save people. Yeah. And sometimes... Sometimes we need to be to, to hear God's call to wake up because we're on a one-way course to destruction. Mm. And sometimes God works really gently and softly, but sometimes he needs to reach into our lives powerfully, dramatically, because we're about to go over the edge. Yeah. And I love that Jesus said here, I was so ready for you. Yeah. I longed time after time, Jerusalem, to come over you like a, like a mother hen hovers mm. over her chicks, but yeah. you were not willing. So I pray to you, for you is that God would make you willing that you would Amen. respond to what Jesus is calling for you. If you want resources, call in and um, be blessed this week. We'll catch you next week for another episode of Real Faith. And remember that real faith is, is lived, lived faith. faith. Amen.